Jones, we have top men working on it right now. It was a most ripping victory. Go! Get to the chopper! Welcome to this episode of the Parkway Theater Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt. And I am Byron. Byron of the Fun V Podcast. Yes, of the Fun note. V Podcast. Yes, I should say that. Yes. Uh, this is a special bonus episode, so we don't have our faithful third companion, Ward, from the Parkway Theater itself, because we are going to talk about the movie The Revenant. And Byron, where did we watch the movie The Revenant? Well, we watched it at our great venue of the Parkway Theater in Minneapolis. We did. Yes, we rented it out for my birthday a while back. And, uh, and I wanted to watch The Revenant because I hadn't seen it. And I know it was an Oscar winner. And uh, it's also cinematically gorgeous. And so I thought um, this needs to be seen at the theater. And it was... Very nice experience. I mean, uh, I would say, you know, it was very COVID-friendly. It was uh, convenient, and we we ate our dinners there. I mean, so basically my wife and I showed up a little early with some takeout, and then we ate that in the lobby, and then Byron came right around uh, the showtime, and we sat 6 to 12 feet apart or whatever in the same row, so Byron and I, I was, I was yelling over things to you. We had the whole theater to ourselves. So anything I didn't understand, I could say, "Hey, Byron, Byron, what did he say?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just shout back like, "He meant this." Yeah, yeah, and uh, and no one cared because we had that whole auditorium to ourselves. It was pretty great. I have to say, I loved it. I mean, it was my first movie going experience in uh, twelve, twelve months ish. Yeah, must have been twelve months or more. And, uh, I mean, I absolutely loved it. So, uh, what was your take on it? What did you think? Oh, my gosh. That was, uh, what an experience. I, I think I'm going to take that memory with me for the rest of my life. Um, uh, I, I guess that sounds a little overdramatic, but, uh, same with you. I hadn't seen a film. Probably the last film that I saw was some, I uh, probably was a Marvel film that we saw in theaters. So it was probably even over 12 months, um, for mm-hmm. for me seeing a film and hadn't having that experience and just yeah. to be able to go back into a theater and to not only have that experience but to have that experience just with well I'll be I'll, I'll guess I'll go right out and say it probably my best friend and his wife uh, to be able to celebrate his birthday and to go do something that we really love to do which is watch movies and just have a really good time watching movies. Um, was a super fun experience and can't thank uh, Ward and the Parkway Theater enough for being able to provide that for us. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very nice. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that was an option, and I, I was going to pull the trigger earlier on doing that, but uh, it took me till my birthday, and it was finally possible. We got a babysitter for me and my wife. I mean, for our kids, not for us. And, uh, <laughs> and we finally did it. So it was awesome. 
Let's uh, let's talk about the numbers of this movie. <clears throat> uh, this is a 2015 Oscar winner, Leo DiCaprio. And I, I'm not going to say the characters' names because I feel like when you watch this movie, it does not matter what no. the hell these men are called. No, it's Leo, no DiCaprio. Women, it's Leo DiCaprio. It's Leo DiCaprio. It's Leo. It's Tom Hardy. It's Dom Hall Gleason. A bunch of other people, <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if it's worth naming any of them. Uh, I'm sure they're all great, but uh, skipping over them. And this is a movie by Alejandro Iñárritu, who is a, a fantastic director, in my opinion. And uh, for movies that I think are exceptionally beautiful, I like to list the cinematographer. So here we have Emmanuel Lubezki, and uh, this guy nominated for eight Academy Awards for cinematography. And uh, he won three in a row, which is the first time that has ever happened Um yeah, and, and I think happened. he deserves he deserves every one of those awards uh, if they're anything like what we saw in the yeah. Revenant. Totally. So yeah, so he, the first one was 2013 for Gravity. Did you see that movie? Ooh, I did see that film. Okay, now now okay. I'm kind of seeing a pattern here where he's got a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking him up right now. I did so not. what was the second one? The second one was Birdman. Birdman. Okay, I have not yep. seen that one, but I have heard ah. that. Um, I'm sorry, the director's name Alejandro Inaratu. Uh, yeah. He also did that. He did, he directed that one, correct? Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I don't know for sure, but yeah, I think that's true. And uh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go just I'm gonna go check because yeah, I'm checking it right now. He did actually do. He yes, did direct you're Birdman. Right. You're right. And then the third one was Revenant. So I have not seen Gravity or Birdman, but I did see Revenant because that's what we're talking about here. And uh, so it's the first cinematographer in history to win three consecutive Academy Awards. Very shocking. I mean, the guy is a uh, genius. So very much a genius he the so the, the the budget was 135 million and the box office was 533 million so pretty good return here tomato meter 78 critics 84 audience which i'm kind of surprised i would have thought the critics would have been higher on this one uh, but whatever and then imdb plot summary a frontiersman leo on a fur trading expedition in the 1820s fights for survival after being mauled by a bear and left for dead by members of his own hunting team. Uh, wow. And I'm going to start out, Byron, by saying tonight on my home screen, my little downstairs home theater, I attempted to watch just one scene of this movie so I could feel fresh on it. And guess which scene that was? Oh, there are so many good and memorable scenes in this film. I'm going to go out on a limb, go with the biggest one. Is it the bear attack? It was the bear attack. <laughs> <laughs> it was? I, I distinctly yeah. remember us leaving the theater. Uh, we both kind of looked at each other and said, you know what? I don't like bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I had a little PTSD from our previous experience at the theater because when I watched this one, I... I, you know, I could not make it all the way through. What I remember from uh, from the theater viewing was that the bear attacks and leaves and then comes back again. And I feel like he may even have come back again a third time. And I was watching it tonight and I thought, I cannot stomach this. He is just getting brutalized. I mean, it's terrible. Uh, but it was just, you know, the way they made that look real was just, oh, I mean, it's just freaking movie magic. Unbelievable. 
Yes, the amount of detail that they put into this bear was, uh, yeah, had to be at least $5 million in itself, I think, out of their $135 million budget. Done really well, felt it felt very realistic. It felt very graphic. There was something visceral. I, I, the only way I could describe it, it was something. It was something in the instinct of my brain was just screaming to just run away from the whole film, uh, just with how yeah. brutal that attack was. And you're right. It he did. It was kind of a. It wasn't just one solid attack. Uh, spoilers, I guess, if you haven't seen it. Um, there's a bear attack, and uh, it was uh, pretty graphic in that. It was kind of almost uh, paused in a way that there was almost a little bit of breathing room. And then the bear came back and it almost comes down. It almost got to a point where it was. How should should I say it? It was riding the line between absurdity and uh, realism with just how much it would. It probably would have happened that way. But uh, well, and yeah, I mean, it was almost it was riding a different line, too, which is like, you know, cinema, you know, graphic content. And and coming close to the line of like uh, snuff film, like like faces of death, kind of uh, you know, like like actual animal attack. Uh, yeah, I, I when, was I, thinking, when I was in high school, I was thinking of another go, word. Uh, I don't know if this is actual a word. I guess I'll coin it now. It was kind of coming into like suffer porn a little bit, where it was just, yeah, right. It was just getting a little too extreme. Yeah, when I was in high school, some of my friends. I don't know. We'd get together, and I I was never there for this, but apparently they would go to Blockbuster or Video Update, and and someone would rent like the Faces of Death movies, and and I guess it's actual real real deaths that are on film, or maybe it's not real. I don't know. I yeah. I, I I wanted nothing to do with these series of films, but they'd get the VHS of these like actual deaths. That was what I thought they were. And watch it, and and this is how I was felt watching this. Like this is very close to me thinking. I mean, if it wasn't Leonardo DiCaprio, I, I might be thinking like this is Grizzly Man. You know, like he like he's actually being killed on camera. Fuck, I don't I don't want to watch that. Yeah, it was certainly pretty intense. But uh, yeah, the one thing you could always focus on, um, almost the movies, almost to the point of the movie's downfall. I don't think it was a downfall, but it was something that certainly took me out of a little bit at a couple times. Was uh, realizing it was Leonardo DiCaprio getting attacked by a bear, and uh, he certainly did a fantastic job of acting like he was being attacked by a bear. Yeah, and this is a bonus episode, so we're gonna keep it kind of tight here, but. Uh, so we, I don't know about you, but I didn't look up a lot of details about how it was done, like what the special effects were, what the practical was. But do you have any idea who was in the bear suit or if the bear, I mean, how they were actually throwing him around the woods? No, I did not look up any of that technical um, aspect. The one slight rabbit hole I did fall down into as far as the technical filming of this was that it was actually shot in um, this film takes place in the Dakotas. I know we had a question about that um, while we were watching it. It takes place, uh, they actually filmed this in parts of Wyoming and the Dakotas and in real time and in real conditions and under real light. There was oh, really? very little mm. sound stage. There was very little stage involved with this. So mm. at some point they were talking about the technical challenge of at some points they, for a day, or for days on end, they only had 90 minutes of film time or even less where they could actually yeah. take shots and film shots. And then they had to, Oh, well it's past the time. The sun's already going down. So now we have to wait another day to continue this scene. 
Yeah. And so that that's, was that's... potentially why it took so long in some spots. And there was also the conditions itself where they were actually out in sub-zero temperatures trying to film these shots as well. <laughs> Just imagine they're, you know, <laughs> these actors are out there tra- tramping, trampling, whatever, trouncing around in their, you know, beaver furs and stuff. And then some locals in South Dakota or whatever go zipping by on a four wheeler. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that could like, God dang it, right? Ruined another shot. <laughs> yeah, ruined the day. Basically, could have had the potential right, of right. ruining the day. Yeah, which yeah, yeah which leads me to believe, like with so many of these shots um, with snow in them, if they messed up the shot, would they have to go back? They have to go back and put more snow down. Because they're showing that they're, you know, they didn't want to make it look like they were walking over a path already. Yeah, I, I suppose they had like boxes of uh, powdered uh, potatoes, like in, uh, like in uh, Die Hard Two, to, <laughs> yeah. to to cover it all up. So that was a potential thing. That was really the only um, technical stuff that I looked up from it, and that in itself, I think, is a pretty good challenge. And um, I can admire. Um, I'm gonna. Alejandro Inaratu. I have to read his name to make sure I don't say it wrong. For some reason, I'm transposing it in my mind, but I really have to give credit to him for trying to create as realistic of a picture as possible. And I think it really did show through the landscapes. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, I had never seen this movie, and I, I told Ward, this is the movie I want to see, you know, from my birthday viewing. And I, I had no no idea really why I wanted to see it other than I knew that the cinematographer was, um, <clears throat> you know, what they won the best picture or sorry best cinematography and uh, and uh, and I didn't I knew the story I knew he got attacked by a bear but I didn't really know the story or what was happening uh, and so in the end I just I mean I I fell in love with this movie watching it it was amazing um, my my wife was not so impressed at the extreme violence of the <clears throat> attacks that uh, the band of fur traders uh, experienced from the natives and you know there's a lot of violence there but I thought this was like this was like you know uh, dances of wolves but <clears throat> in a 21st century <laughs> you know it's like it's more real it's more visceral and and you know I don't need to see people being shot in the head with arrows and stuff but it was you know, it seemed very real to me. That's I'll put it that way. It was just yes. so real, and it was just a simple little story, and just beautiful, beautiful yeah. story. I was I thinking of that. Uh, funny you mentioned Dances with Wolves. I was thinking this is Dances with Wolves 3 uh, that comes out. Uh, I, if I were imagining in my head, this is the one where he gets tossed to a secondary director who just turns it into a horror film. But uh, what's Dances? I, what's Dances with Wolves two? What's the I don't know what one? Dances with Wolves two is. Uh, Dances with okay. Wolves three just immediately popped in my head because that's the one that goes okay. direct to video. Maybe Hostiles. Maybe Hostiles. Yeah, with that could Wolves be it. Yeah. Um, another yeah. thing that was reminding me of this was um, I know we had talked about uh, in previous podcasts one of my favorite authors being Cormac McCarthy, and he yes. has a film or not? He doesn't have a film. It was supposed to be filmed, but I think they ended up switching. Um, and ended up doing No Country for Old Men and The Road instead. But this reminds me a lot of his book called Blood Meridian, which okay. is it's a not an exact plot to this, but it takes place mm-hmm. during the same time period where you have a lot of skirmishes between 
um, settlers, um, people who are encroaching on Native American territory, and the response from the Native Americans, and then you have the overreaction, you know, the response back from the um, encroaching settlers, and it just turns into a war, and done in classic Cormac McCarthy style, it's very brutal, and it's pretty um, graphic in how brutal it is, and there's um, a, how do I want to say, I admire the clarity that comes with that type of brutality when it comes with writing, and I admire... I, that's one thing I admire about this film is I admire the brutality and the clarity that gets from that. I mean, it's you don't get the comical thing where a person gets shot with an arrow and then the next day they're fine. It's You get shot yeah. with an arrow, it's actually going to be doing damage to you. Like, you don't just yeah. get attacked by a bear and you just get bit once and that's it. No, a bear is going to do a lot of damage to you. Yes. <laughs> it it yeah. pulls no punches, uh, and that's right, what I right. can admire about that. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a. I like the word clarity because there's certainly a, a black and white, you know, uh, kind of clarity. I guess I don't know. There's, I mean, like this happened to this person, and it's bad. There is no, there is no if ands or buts about it. <laughs> this thing yeah. is bad. Yeah, clarity he's lucky to or have like lived. radical honesty or some. There, it's very truthful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like watching. Uh, I did not see Grizzly Man. Did you ever see Grizzly Man? I have not seen Grizzly Man. I have heard about Grizzly yeah. Man, though. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I know that they don't show his death on film. Uh, I'm not sure if that footage exists, but I know they don't put it in the actual, um, the, the widely released film version of it. But <clears throat> it's like that. It's where I almost feel like I am watching a documentary about. Maybe not a documentary, but like a like a docu series on National Geographic where they covered the you know the voyageurs of the North or something like you yes. know they'll do reenactments and things. This this feels like a a actual reenactment that would be on a great TV show like uh, Nova or or National Geographic or something like that. But it stars you know super Dom Hall Gleason and. and and Leo, and so it's even better, and it's on the big screen. So Yeah, you know, certainly on the big screen. I'd have to say, though, I did not know it was Tom Hardy until the credits rolled. Yeah, fucking Tom Hardy, my <laughs> God. You do not. Holy crap. So, 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 so I told Ward, I said, yeah, this is the movie I want to see for my birthday. And the first question he asked me was, would you like me to set up uh, closed captions for understanding what tom hardy says <laughs> oh no yeah and, and i thought i think you should have said yes said, yeah. yeah i think i should have said yes but i think what he meant was like on on the screen whereas uh, some theaters have like a little device that they give each person if they need it for um you know like assisted uh, like people who can't hear or whatever there's like um some kind of apparently cinemas nowadays have some kind of you know, personalized tablet that can give you, yes, you know, closed captioning. Yeah, I, I've not seen that, but um, but I said no. I said no, and he was like, "Well, okay." And and then when we went and watched it, I, honest to God, had no idea what this guy was saying. It was amazing how he mumbles his way through every movie. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're right. Um, so I guess two things about that was be one. Yes, Tom Hardy did mumble his way through everything. But his acting was so good, I could understand exactly what he was doing. I didn't nearly need to hear him talk. He could have not talked the uh, entire time. 
I think that's true. I agree with that. And yeah. secondhand, um, another thing, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I keep just bringing down Leonardo DiCaprio because I mean, when you're looking at this film, you can obviously tell that that's Leonardo DiCaprio. He mumbles his way through this film with that same accent he does in every single film. I'm pretty sure he did the same thing in The Departed. He did the same thing in um, what was it, Django Unchained? He got he has like one accent. And I, it just bugs me. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe I, I'm I, wrong, I, but I, I don't know. Well, well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think well, part of it is as I was watching the, uh, the uh, bear scene here, as he's first like kind of stumbling around in the woods looking for something to shoot, he takes something and he pops it in his mouth, and it seems to me like it must have been a wad of tobacco leaves or something. Yeah. And I wonder if that has something to do with like the way these characters are talking. Potentially. Yeah, you're right. It's not, it, it's not red man. Cause I think they're probably, you know, a hundred years too early for red man, but it's some kind of t- tobacco or something they're putting in their mouths. And, uh, and that, <laughs> I mean, it's a huge wad. So yeah, you know, it, if you're, you're like, right, could, that could potentially, yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe in, in terms of realism, they were, doing a thing where they had a whole big wad of leaf in their mouth, a tobacco leaf, and might have altered how they were trying to do their accents. It might, that might have been a challenge as well. You're right. Yeah, and also, you know, we're in Minnesota, so we, our state in the north has a history of, um, of, of fur trading and the, the French voyageurs. And, um, you know, I have to imagine, well, everything I've ever learned by going to historical sites was that these were some incredibly uneducated incredibly strong resilient individuals who probably weren't well spoken you know like like very they probably true were, they probably were kind of uh brutes of some kind i mean they were carrying you know what 150 pounds on their on their backs and using their necks with those yeah whatever with, packs full of shit and yeah we actually got to see a, a small version of those packs that they had to carry where it was like they literally used their their forehead and their neck Yes. To support yeah, all this weight. Right. That right. just sounds right. absurd to me. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Talk about going to the chiropractor. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm sure they had a chiropractor uh, out there in the woods. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I doubt it. But, uh, well, I mean, that's uh, what, what, what was your favorite scenes here? What, what was your favorite uh, parts of this movie beyond the bear attack? What, what did you. You know, really, you just kind of enthralled by the landscapes or what? Yeah, that. Yeah, you nailed it. That was really what I had to say is, I guess um, this film had to be seen on a big screen. That's how good these scenes were, is I don't think I mean, I know personal theaters have come a long way, but I don't think you could capture the same level. I mean, unless you're some sort of billionaire who can afford their own you know, actual sized home theater, there really is no other way you could watch this film. It it got me kind of thinking along the lines of like, there's got to be other films that are similar to that, that have to be, um, what do I want to say? There's certainly some films that need to be seen in a theater. This is one of them. Yeah. How, what would you, what yeah. do you think? Yes. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that goes back to, this uh you know the cinematographer who is you know multi multi academy award winning 
and, and there's just a way of doing it that is, it's not conducive to watching on the screen that's not, I mean, it, I, I kind of think when you're, there are certain, you know, environments that they attempt to portray that you need to be, you need to be able to move your, your, your neck and your head left and right. Not, not, maybe not so much as like IMAX, you know, levels, mm-hmm. but you need to be able to like, you need to, you need, like, you know, if you want to see the bear coming from the left-hand side, you want to be able to turn your head to watch it race all the way across the screen and then, you know, hit the actor or whatever on the right-hand side. And this is definitely one of those movies. Um, I think it really boils down to uh, the environment they tr- they try to film in and create. It could be it could be uh, natural, it could be man-made cityscapes, but it really is about you know not the actors but the backdrop. So oh. uh, that's probably a good transition to like maybe other movies that we think would necessarily uh, need to be viewed on the big screen. Agreed. Agreed. I had actually was thinking about that. I know uh, I had come up with a list of films that I think should be seen on the big screen versus that. Uh, Nice. So I guess the first one, funny funny you mentioned this, um, one of my first ones was Gravity. Um, I know you haven't haven't seen the film, but the sense of scale that is able to be portrayed i mean you have to step back for a second there are times where you have to remind yourself this is a flat screen that is it that is being projected onto like this is not real like you can just go around the back side of the screen and there's nothing there gravity is able to uh, for lack of a term better term it defies gravity in a way in that you you're able to disbelieve that for the entire length of the film just with how it's shot okay. and how it's portrayed, and um, you haven't seen that before, right? Right, right. So, but I know it's uh, George Clooney and uh, and what's her face, uh, um, the, the speed, the speed woman. Uh, I can't remember. Miss Congeniality. But, uh, can't remember her name. Yeah, Miss Congeniality. Yeah. Exactly. We're gonna call her Miss Congeniality so, from now on, folks. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, tell me how much of that movie is on Earth preparing for a mission? How much is on the shuttle or on the station? I mean, is it most of it in space? Most of it is in space. Work? I would have to say probably ninety-five okay. percent of that is in space. The, re- okay. the rest of it, okay. you don't really know for sure. I'll leave it at okay. that. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to spoil anything for you because because the fact that. that you like what what a really good film can do is that it makes you keep guessing, or at least it's able to use its medium in order to mm-hmm. make you keep guessing what exactly is going on. Which is another thing that the Revenant actually does pretty well in some cases where you kind of get those little hallucinations or you don't know if they're hallucinations or you can't, well, well, with the Revenant, you know, they're hallucinations, but maybe in gravity that maybe they're not there. They give you a little bit of plausible doubt as to whether they're uh, yeah. real or not, or what's going on. And, uh, yeah, that was one of the, one of my first ones I was thinking of, uh, when I was thinking of films that you could see, you should see in film theater, I should say. Yeah. I may need to, I may need to check that one out. I well, forget at the time, but I was poo-pooing it at the time, and probably because it seemed to be too popular, which is a, you know, a thing. Oh, it totally was a thing. Uh, it was a thing for me, too. I was uh, totally against it, and then I guess it came back out. I can't remember what theater it was, but I ended up going and seeing it in theater, and 
um, could not um, could not imagine seeing it uh, in a DVD sitting on my couch. <clears throat> okay, well, Byron, before I say mine, I want to ask you. Yes. Are you going to do yours? Like, are you going to hit me with the biggest impact ones first? Or, I mean, I already mentioned gravity, so let's take that one off the table. So you mentioned gravity because I mentioned gravity. But are you going to hit me with, like, the ones you think are, like, super impactful, even though they're not your favorite movies? Or how are you going to, like, count down your list here? What, you know, when I order? was coming up with this list, I was just really brainstorming. Um, so okay. I, we'll see which ones that you have seen. I'll, I'll throw out a couple of my films. We'll see which ones we have all have seen. And uh, okay. I'm willing to be convinced as to which one would probably be the best to see in theaters. Although I think Revenant uh, ranks up there pretty high. Yes. Okay. So uh, then I am going to pick which one that I say, even though I was also brainstorming, and this is on the bottom of my list, but it seems to me like the one I'm most excited about, which is I would have loved to have seen back in 1986 Top Gun Ooh. in the theater. Ne- Ooh, never that saw would have it. been a good one. Never saw it. And so I also have included Top Gun Maverick coming out later this year um, in uh, in theaters. But yeah, the Top Gun movies, and that is simply because, you know, it's it's this... It's kind. I mean, it's it's aerial, so you know you have the option of like being in a beautiful, massive cityscape, or you have the option of being like in the Revenant, like in the woods, and there's, you know, there's this there's this whole left right panoramic view of the trees and the land. But in the air, when when people are dogfighting, that to me is a necessity to be in the theater. And when I go see Top Gun Maverick. I'm probably going to sit no further back than the third row ha. so I can, you know, feel it. I want to feel it in my – I want to get caught in the jet wash just like Goose did and fear that I might die, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> even I can, though I know I won't. I can totally see that. Um, I have a confession. I guess the first time I ever saw Top Gun, it was in an in-flight film. Oh, yeah. And – um yeah. It was a little bit uh, not as advanced as some planes are today, but uh, so it was a very tiny screen, uh, or no, it was the it was the screen that sits. It used to be the screen that would sit in the front of yes. of the plane, so you'd have to kind of crane your neck a little bit to kind of right. see it. And I would agree yeah. uh, that film should be seen on a larger screen. I would not recommend seeing it in flight while doing it. <laughs> So I could yes. see that one. Well, yes. <laughs> I thought that would be pretty Would good. you recommend that movie in flight over um, uh, the Tom Hanks castaway movie? Ooh. Which one would you rather watch? <laughs> oh, good one. Uh, I would probably recommend Top Gun over Castaway. Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah, for sure. Or, uh, or Red scary. Eye, which would be another one I would not recommend. Yeah, I would agree with that one, too. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I cannot watch in flight. Most of them involve sharks if I'm flying over the ocean. Oh, so snakes on a plane, too, but, uh, is probably not a good one to watch either while on a plane. Uh, um, are there sharks and snakes on a plane, too? No, but just snakes. Okay. There, no, there's 
they're snakes. No problem. They're on a no they're problem. on a plane. <laughs> you, sharks on a plane, that's a problem. Snakes on a plane, it ain't it ain't no thing. Uh, okay. I take sharks What's on your... I take sharks on a plane because sharks can't breathe in a plane. They they <laughs> suffocate immediately. Land sharks. Yeah, land sharks. Land that, shark. that, that's what we were calling the bear, I think, by the end of the film, was it was a land shark. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the way it attacked, absolutely. What's your next movie, you, what you think? Next one, I thought, perfect for the theater. It absolutely had to be made for a theater because no way would you... I don't think you could get the same impact. 1917. Mm, okay. So you saw that one in the theaters? I did not. And I okay. saw it on. Did you I see saw it, it not in theaters, and I regretted okay. it. Okay. Uh, uh, that movie is famous, of course, for being one take, being absolutely one take, one take being able to yeah. pan and show just the large scenes that it was taking place in, and having to coordinate all of that stuff at one time. It really needs to be admired on a larger screen, unless you are one of those weird people who walk right up to the screen and get to look at, like, you know, tiny guy number three in the background doing his thing. But it's so much better to just see it on a big screen. Yeah, I did not ever see that movie, and I was listening to a little bit about that last night, thinking that I should actually see it, because I, I, you know, I knew it's a Sam Mendes film, and it's, you know, World War One. But I didn't know like what the actual character drama was in the movie. I knew it was a one-shot deal, um, so I think I need to check that out. And I probably won't check it out until it shows up at some, you know, some big screen. I think I'm just gonna have place. to rent the Parkway, and we're just gonna have to watch all of these films and ultimately decide. Well, that's a good idea. I would like to do that actually for the for 1917. Uh, and that was uh, 2019. I'm pretty sure. Yes, it was. Um, so a little bit yeah. newer film, but uh, mm-hmm. still a pretty mm-hmm. good film. Uh, how about you? Did you? What was your next one you were thinking of? Well, because we are at our, well, you know, you and I at our core are really um, superhero comic book movie fans. And we, we started our, our epic podcasting adventure with uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. So I am going to say number, well, not I'm not going to give a number, but my next one I would say is I think that the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies need to be seen Ooh. on the big screen. Ooh, I like and, that. You know, I think you know, Spider-Man 2 might be better than than uh, 1 or 3, but um, but the, the point is here, Spider-Man, he is your uh, local neighborhood hero. And he swings from Manhattan skyscrapers. And that whole, you know, that whole jumping down from 100 stories up and swinging across building to building, I think that is most impactful on a big screen. And I think that's the major reason for that. Spider-Man lives in a giant three-dimensional up-down, left-right, you know, world because of his abilities. And you have to see that on a giant screen. I would agree, and I would wholeheartedly agree. The Sam Raimi Spider-Mans are the first ones that were really able to capture even just a tiny glimmer of, like you had talked about, the up-down, left-right, forward-backward world that he lives in while he's swinging around. And 
to yeah. be, you can't really capture that on a tiny screen. You need to go see that in a big screen, and you need to see that around you. Um, I would agree. Um, I don't think we'll. I don't know if we'll review those Spider-Mans or not, but uh, I guess I'll spoil a little bit of it so we can go ahead. But uh, yeah, Spider-Man Two would probably be my favorite out of those three, out of the same Raimi ones. Yeah. There's yeah. some there's something about it where they just the plot hits perfectly and the visuals line up with it and they finally they figured out from the first one what what, what worked and uh, yeah I would say Spider Man two good one yes yeah what's your next one going along that superhero line I had come up with one superhero one um, that would be. Um, this is, I guess it was a tie. I was trying to thinking of two of them, but generally it, I guess it it came down to a certain style and for that would be Frank Miller and Frank Miller's style would be, um, something along the lines of 300 or Sin City. Um, those were both written by Frank Miller. Um, both of those films done very, very well. And I think their style lends itself to a larger screen. Yep. I totally agree with that for sure. Um, I would say 300 uh, is, you know, I mean, I I think it's better than Sin City, but 300 is, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that sort of battle, that sort of environment of of ancient uh, Carthage and... And what is it, Greece? Or? Well, it, it's Greece versus uh, Persia, versus the, Persia, versus the yeah, entire so. army of Persia. And just yeah. like you said, that visual style, um, there's a lot of, I know there's some people kind of groan a little bit when you get a little bit of a stop action type thing where it's time slows down. But you really yeah. need you really need time to slow down because you need to witness everything that is happening in that film, just the amazing direction and amazing uh, cinematography and i think it really lends itself to yeah that. for me sin city yeah it, uh, for sure for me sin city kind of does a similar thing where it's you really need to kind of take in it's a it's a drastic style um black and white for the most part but there are certain parts of color that are used to highlight certain aspects or character characters and i think that really lends itself to a larger screen i think that that style uh, that contrast i think does does really well that was on my list as far as that goes that was kind of more the experimental type thing that i think really works better on a big screen than it does a little screen yeah i think you're not alone in thinking that because <clears throat> it's uh it's an epic film and uh, i like uh um gerard butler in that too i think Ooh. i also like the guy who plays leonidas which is is that gerard that butler is gerard or is that butler. the okay so who's the guy who, who's in the sequel uh, uh I that was <laughs> i cannot remember his name um but he doesn't actually play i don't think he plays leonidas he plays themistocles i think which does takes yeah okay i think that's right yeah he, that's right yeah that that um, that portrays the naval battle that happens between sparta and greece or it's not okay. Sparta and Greece, okay. Sparta yeah. and Persia, I should say. Um, yeah, so like the epicness of these battles is what needs that that big screen. You know, if you're gonna launch like a cannonball or arrows really far, flaming arrows, it's fun to be able to watch them go from left to right and have to move your head. Yes, <laughs> very true, very very true, and just uh, to have yeah. this, to have that tiny object, it appears as just like a dot, a single pixel, as it, and then it just in a flash becomes an entire object as it passes through right, your screen. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I do like that movie. 
Well, I'm going to go back to something that we um, previously discussed uh, on the Parkway podcast, and that movie is Titanic. Ooh, Titanic. That is an epic, you know, of course, it's an epic adventure. If you want to hear more about that, uh, listen to our Titanic episode. But uh, the scale of the ship really lends itself to uh, needing the, the scale of the screen in a, in a theater. And the sinking, of course, and the iceberg and all that is, it should be seen that you're, you know, I mean, if, I, if it were me, I, I, that might be a first row movie. I'm not sure if I saw that in theater. I think I might have, but uh, I would have been 15. No, I would have been 17. So um, I probably saw it in the theater. But I would have sat first row. Thinking back on it, I would have sat first row, and I would have then been able to literally look up and tilt my head up from the water's surface to see the the ice the the uh, um, the iceberg and and uh, the top of the ship, you know, as it comes past. Yes. And that would have been an incredible. Cause, I mean, because they kind of the ship kind of comes from left to right. And it's so massive, it fills your whole field of view. And that would be great to just kind of see in the first row of a theater. Yeah, I want to do that someday, too. I would agree. I think seeing Titanic uh, in the first row would would have been fantastic. I know I saw it in theaters. I did not sit in the front row. I know I saw it multiple times, but I, uh, I can agree with that one. James Cameron is made for making big films. Yes, His style right. is Definitely. perfect for making big films with that and like Avatar and, well, yeah. Terminator. No, he did. Yeah, he did Terminator, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Another good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hadn't even put that one on my list. Um, yep. Speaking of large epic films, uh, I don't think we talked about. No, we have not talked about this one. We might talk about this one. So I'll mention it very, very briefly going along that same line. A film that I think you should see in theaters um, goes along with that same big director who makes films for the for the screen. Uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. And that's our first overlapping one. That right is there. the first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how long it was going to take for us to think alike here as, uh, and come with it. But uh, Jurassic Park, such a grand scale. Steven Spielberg is amazing at creating just a world, creating a believable world that is able to suck you in. And I never thought I would be sucked into a world where I would believe that dinosaurs exist. And he was able to do that with not only the visual effects, but the writing and the direction of the film and the plot. And it worked perfectly. Yeah. 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 And we're talking 1993. And, uh, you know, the Tyrannosaurus's look absolutely real. Velociraptors looking real. It's, uh, it's incredible. I mean, how could you, you know, for the first time, how could you watch... Uh, um, I mean, I think when I was 13 when this movie came out and I saw it in the theater, uh, it feels like a Tyrannosaurus came to life. If, you know, if you're close enough to that screen, it is shocking. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anything ever came that close because, you know, when you look at those old Godzilla movies and that kind of stuff, <laughs> you have you have people in rubber suits and, you know, they're obviously like stomping on miniatures. But this, I mean, they built, you know, they built uh, animatronics where it was, you know, it was in pieces. So, like, the foot 
that lands next to the uh, Ford Explorer that is one of their vehicles. You know, that foot is just a foot, but it's, you know, it's, it's to scale. So that foot is probably... 15 feet long and, you know, it, 20 feet high. And it is to scale, just... and it has that weight that comes along with it. The same with the yeah. actual animatronic I don't, to scale. It has a certain weight and certain presence. I was just thinking of that. Like, yeah. what, what do you think uh, the moviegoer's regular experience with dinosaurs was? It was probably either A, like you had said, uh, Godzilla, where it was a guy in a suit, or it was Claymation. Where it was, where it was like a claymation yes, dinosaurs right. fighting each other, and it's you really don't get a sense of that. And Steven Spielberg, in his vision, was able to create that along with all the amazing people who worked on that technical at end of the special effects. Yeah, that was probably the um, the Star Wars uh, of of our generation. Correct. So, you Ooh, know, good. And, I like and, that. Yeah. In 77, Lucas did all this technology to make make it possible. I mean, he took these, you know, cheesy outer space, you know, soap opera drama things, and he made them more realistic. Like, we actually thought these things were happening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like laser blasters and uh, and ships and uh, whatever, X-wings and things. And, uh, and, and um, uh, 16 years later... Steven Spielberg really t- took dinosaurs out of the campy world of claymation and made it seem absolutely, absolutely real. And, and I don't think Jurassic World in the 2010s did it better. I think it looks as good or better in 1993 as they were able to do in the 2010s. It's, it's, it's amazing. I yeah. love that. I mean, it it's, casts such it's a large shadow that even things like Jurassic world, in my opinion, have to catch up to like, they still have to measure themselves against a 1993 film. How fantastic is that to think about? Yeah. 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 It's incredible. Well, we could talk about it. Forever. Yeah, we I know we, we, uh, we have certainly um, talked yeah. a lot about these films. Um, I have one more I have, that I could talk about, I have but two, you go first. Uh, I'm glad that you said that. I'm glad you said that because I have two more. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have two more. And so I'll do one, you do one, I'll do one. Okay. My, um, uh, I'm gonna, so I, I cheated, as we said before we started recording, but for my next two, I, I, I lumped some series together. And I don't have specifics on these, but I'm going to go with Mission Impossible films. Ooh. Okay. The... You know, so here, Mission Impossible is famous for Tom Cruise doing his own stunts. Yes, and uh, you know, one of them is hanging off a plane, a plane like a cargo plane, and you know, other one is he was running down rooftops and then um, he jumped and and broke his ankle and kept going. And so I think <clears throat> these movies, you know, he's there's also like scenes where he's climbing cliffs or climbing uh, skyscrapers in in Asia. So uh, I think. Because of the stunts, the scale of the stunts, the the ambition that they have, that it's way better to watch the Mission Impossible movies. Definitely the last three or four, more so maybe than the first or second one, uh, watching these in the theater gives you a much bigger impression of what exactly the cast and the stunt team is doing in these movies, and it's pretty incredible. I would agree. I hadn't thought about that one. But you're right. The first 
like Mission One, Mission Impossible One, Mission Impossible Two. They're very tight, very controlled. They're very plot driven. But then when they get to Mission Impossible Three and beyond, they really expand these stunts. And uh, like you had said, this is Tom Bleepin Hanks, or not Tom Bleepin Hanks, Tom Tom Cruise, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, yeah right. Tom Cruise doing all of his own stunts for some of these things. Like you said, hanging off an airplane or. Yeah, the the infamous running with a broken ankle. Uh, absurd to think about, but he does it. And to see it on a big screen, you really can appreciate that. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, it needs to be. And so we're going to get the, uh, sounds like later this year, I believe, we are going to get uh, the latest installment of the Mission Impossible series. And we'll all have to forgive Tom Hanks. Or <laughs> Tom ah, Hanks. you did it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The whole time I was talking about the first point, I kept saying to myself in my head, don't say Tom Hanks. Don't say Tom Hanks. Hanks. And I was doing the uh, same thing. We'll we'll all forgive Tom Cruise for freaking out on his cast and crew in Mission Impossible 7 um, for for not wearing masks or whatever his whole little blow up on, on set was where, you know, he was telling them, they're all fired. They're all fired if I see that again. And you know, he, he, you know, Cruz does not want to. Uh, he doesn't want to get the, the COVID. So I'll forgive him, and I will watch that movie. Can't wait to watch that yeah, movie. I, actually. I don't but know what Byron. What is? I guess I don't know why he cares. I mean, he's basically immortal. I mean, he's on your. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, but maybe he's really fragile in his immortality. Like very you know, true. That might be his one. His one Achilles heel. Uh, is COVID, and so he has to be very careful. I don't yeah, know. The man's very, so old, and he's so very true. talented. Who knows? But uh, speaking of series, um, you talked about the Mission Impossible series. I would like to submit um, a series that I personally is probably one of the greatest series has ever been on film, uh, in my opinion, uh, obviously. Um Something that should be seen in theaters, although if you are able to see all of these in theaters in one go, you are beyond superhuman. You are something very special. Um, It would be uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings Extended Editions. Uh, If you have not seen them, Peter Jackson has added a bunch of more scenes that follow the books almost down to the letter of what actually happens. And by default, it extends the films. It almost doubles the length of every single one of the films. So you're looking at about nine (laughs) to nine and a half hours of watching Lord of the Rings. And uh, it's not for everyone. It's certainly not for the faint of heart. But if you really enjoy Lord of the Rings, if you grew up reading the books and discovering Tolkien and really enjoying that whole series... I think the best way to watch that is to watch the extended edition. And I think like a lot of Peter Jackson films, it was made for the big screen. He shot these, he shot the extra scenes for the big screen, like the rest of the film. And so to see that in the big screen, it really, to me, uh, it uh, is important to see that and to see Tolkien's vision seen on the big screen. Yes. Well, ding, 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 ding. That is also... My last one <laughs> is All right. Lord of the Rings. That's right. Um, <clears throat> I absolutely agree because how can you envision the battles that occur in Middle Earth between 
men and elves and dwarves and hobbits and ents and orcs yeah, and the and, you know and everything and else. yes and exactly and wizards and freaking ella whatever the hell is there i mean it is it is it must be seen uh on the big screen because it's 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 one of the most epic i think like you 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 said it well it's it's a very uh one of the best movies put to put to film in terms of the epicness of of the adventure and uh yeah, I love it. It's absolutely fantastic. Right now, I'm reading The Hobbit to my six-year-old, and she is loving it. Ooh. So who, you know, who wouldn't like this? It's who great. wouldn't like this? And so, I guess, when are you going to introduce her to the rest of it? Well, um, I don't know. We'll see. It's it's uh, you know the the books themselves are very detailed, and that's hard to keep kids imaginations engaged while you're describing the uh, nature of their leather sacks they keep their uh, <laughs> their loaves of bread in. very true but uh yeah you know um i have the uh, the accompanying uh, visual dictionary or whatever it's called the visual glossary to go with the 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 book so you know she looks at the pictures while i read it but uh you know uh i think it's amazing i think that the Lord of the Rings. I mean, I love that they cast uh, what's his what's his face as uh, as Frodo. Ooh, uh, Elijah Wood. Hold on a second. Yes, right, right, exactly. Elijah Wood. They um, they nailed. I think yeah. every single cast casting for that. I mean, yeah, right. Orlando Bloom. Orlando Great. Bloom. Um, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, that, it's a Mortensen that was movie. Where I, I first. Yeah. That was where I first was introduced to Viggo Mortensen. Actually, as far as a character. Yeah, he's the man. He's he's the man. You know what, Byron? My uh, we we probably should wrap this thing yeah, up because I my board is telling me, poof, <laughs> we're at fifty three minutes. We're running out of uh, memory. Oh and, boy, uh, we are running out of time. You know, we were only planning on doing a half an hour, folks. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, you know that's just how it always works. Uh, you know, I think we need to just kind of wrap this up by talking about uh, once again how amazing it was to see a movie at the Parkway. How slick it was. COVID convenient. You know, we brought our own beers. Uh, we had our own food. You know, you and I swapped a couple beers. You know, you got some, I got some, and and uh, we, you know, go across the street to uh, Ken and Norm's Liquor. Not that they're sponsoring this episode, but uh, hey, go over there and you can rent the Parkway. And, go over there; and it's amazing. Rent how the you Parkway. Can, you can yeah. contact the Parkway on their website, and super slick process. I can sure you probably can attest to that with renting the theater and. Their setup and yeah. everything, super convenient, super COVID friendly. Um, if you need, to, there are films you need to watch in a big screen, and there is a big screen yeah. there for you. It's the Parkway Theater, right? That's your place. And you know the other thing you can do uh, that's sort of newer is uh, rent them out and hook up your your gaming console, and they'll let you play yes. whatever game you yeah, want. Yeah, that was right. Too. That was what so. Ward was talking about. Was he was. Uh, he, I think he did it as a test one time, didn't he? Where he was like, he hooked up his console yeah. and he was playing like, was he Mar- was it Mario Kart or was it was I thinking I, maybe I was thinking I Mario think, Kart? But he was playing something. I can't remember that was ridiculous. Yeah. To just the idea of playing that on a big screen. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it. Mean, oh, it sounds fun Matt, too. I love Matt, to do Matt, that. I got a brilliant idea. Here's what, what we do. What, what? What? How about we play Goldeneye at Parkway? <laughs> yeah. How about we just you know host the rest of the. Uh, the fun V podcast episodes at the parkway while we play golden eye beforehand before recording. Oh, we That'd totally should. That would be so super fantastic. 
Ooh, split screen, and each screen is like 20 feet wide. <laughs> <laughs> no peeking. No peeking and no oh odd job. That's that what I have to say. In- incredible. Well, all right. Well, uh, you know, next up on the fun V, what are we going to do? A die another day, I believe. Right? I believe die another day. Uh, we finally watched The World Is Not Enough, and we are now on to the final Pierce Brosnan film of Die Another Day. Um Yes. As far as uh, films for the Parkway goes, um, I don't know what we were planning on doing, but uh, certainly something will be coming up here. But I wanted to talk about the Parkway and that you can rent it. Yes, that's right. Yeah, this is just a little bonus episode to remind everyone that Parkway is still there and uh, can be rented for a number of different options. And, uh, you know, and and possibly in August, I'm told... Uh, the theater will be reopening for live screenings of movies, your favorite movies. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping they'll get some summer, you know, blockbusters in there, some classics like uh, Jaws and, uh, and maybe the Star Wars series and, uh, you know, Great Outdoors, things like that. And then they'll move into fall, and, and who knows? I can't wait. You know what, Byron, here's what I'm looking forward to most. Probably by October... This thing is going to be, you know, we're going to be rocking and rolling again. Yeah. And you and I are going to squeeze ourselves into the little office upstairs in the parkway <laughs> with Ward. And we, I think we should talk about uh, Halloween 3 this time. We you should do, do Halloween, Halloween 3. 3. Okay, yep. we can do Halloween 3. Uh, I'm, I'm willing yeah, to watch I, that'd that. That'd be great. Tom Atkins running around and, uh, you know, masks everywhere and, uh, and, and just craziness. No Michael Myers. I mean, I can't wait for Halloween this year. I, I hope it signifies a change in tone for this whole pandemic. But uh, who knows? That's a couple months away. But I would like to thank you, Byron, and tell everyone that if you'd like to reach out to us, uh, you can email us at parkwaytheaterpodcast at gmail.com or give us a call at uh, 612-217-2520 and leave us a voicemail. You know, Byron, uh, Angie, or I think it was Angie who called us last time and uh, or emailed. I mean, she did not call back for this episode, so no new fan mail for you this no, time. Oh, no. It's going to come. It's going to come. Don't worry. Uh, but, you know, if you enjoyed this episode, like Angie did that one, coming up next, we will be discussing Star Wars Phantom Menace on the Parkway Theater Podcast. Uh, that's right. Episode one. Byron, you corrected me. It's not episode four. Yeah, we had said episode, episode four in one, one of them, but yeah, it is episode one. Yes. Yes. So that's next, and I can't wait to discuss it. Hopefully, you'll be listening to that on or before May the 4th be with you for Byron, and sometimes more, but not this time. I am Matt signing off this episode of the Parkway Podcast. Light off. Let's go to 